Hello, welcome to our second episode of Plan Duise, a new podcast from the Latinos in Planning Division of the APA. The goal is to bring attention to the issues affecting the Latin community and the topics that affect us as individuals and as a collective. My name is Grecia, and I'm here with Leonor, uh, Vanik, uh, and James Castañeda today. And we're so happy to have Leo Vasquez as a guest with us on our second episode. So thank you so much. We're thrilled to have you and for everybody to get to know you better. Um, all right. And then, Leonor, uh, take it away. Yeah. So, Leo, I'm in yes. Chicago. Grecia, where are you in? I am in Boston. Uh, I'm on my campus right now at northeastern and so leo where part where are you in the world today i'm in jersey uh, specifically maplewood new jersey which is just west of west of newark uh, so so how long have you been there oh uh let's see <clears throat> i've been living in uh in jersey since about 96 and um I lived in uh, Jersey City and Hoboken, and then uh, uh, there's there's like the the migration of people from Brooklyn, Hoboken, and Jersey City out west to to the leafy suburbs of Maplewood, South Orange, and Montclair. And so we we chose Maplewood, but I, I grew up in Staten Island, so um, hence my you know hence my accent. <laughs> and then, what other parts of the world have you lived in? Oh my goodness. Um well um <clears throat> excuse me, should I have a cough button here. Um so uh when I was 18 I had this crazy idea that I wanted to live all around the United States because I'd only known you know Staten Island and New York. So I went to school out in Chicago and uh at Northwestern. I went to, to journalism school there. Um and then my first job was in uh in Florida. Southwest, Southwest Florida, um, Bradenton. Um, and uh, then after about five years in journalism, I decided, and then I moved up back up to New Jersey to be close to my family. Uh, after about five years in journalism, I decided I wanted to be a planner. Um, and so I moved out uh, to LA, uh, USC to become a planner. I actually plan, I wanted to live in, the Southwest and in the Pacific Northwest, but you know, just after after grad school, I decided to you know go back. I want to be close to the family, so I moved back back here. But you know, the nice thing is my work has helped me to travel uh, all around the country, um, and I've been you know lucky enough uh, to to have the opportunity to to travel um, you, you know to travel abroad as well. Thank you. So current events, you know, um, right now we know that COVID is happening. Right now we know that the Delta variant is out and about. And so we've asked all of our guests, you know, what their experience has been during COVID. And so what has your experience been? Yeah, so uh, COVID was, you know, uh, from a from a professional standpoint, COVID was a uh, you know real big challenge. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to talk about my troubles with COVID when I know people have lost 
loved ones and I've had just, you know, I'm, and as we're talking now, I mean, people are facing evictions and it's just so, so my troubles are nowhere near like those, you know, at that depth. But I can tell you that like a lot of traumatic experiences really, it, it changed me uh, a lot. Um, the, uh, the organization that I was running, National Consortium for Creative Placemaking, we became a COVID casualty. Our, our business model was largely based on doing live events. And, um, you know, obviously that didn't happen and we didn't get the level of support that we, uh, we needed to really stay afloat. Um, but it also was, so it was also an opportunity to really rethink things. Um, the, uh, you know, the work that I'd done for the past nine years or so was kind of introducing people to this thing, creative placemaking. Um, and, and my hope was really to introduce planners to placemaking, um, as a, as, as a concept and how to engage the arts, arts and culture, uh, to address social, economic, and, uh, environmental issues because most planners and, you know, have, what I think is a literally superficial view of, of arts, um, looking at it as kind of decorative elements and uh, not this quote unquote serious stuff. So anyway, going back to where, and we can talk about that later if you'd like, the, uh, you know, seeing what was going on, um, the looking at the results of uh, the outcomes of a great inequality and how it was representing itself in these long food lines, poverty, um, how the racial justice, social justice movement was coming up to, uh, was surfacing. Um, and of course, you know, the climate change issues, these, all these big issues together. I said, well, you know, we really got to do more than just kind of talk about creative place. And there's a lot of people doing it. We got to really be, act we got to activate people who are doing this work. And so it wasn't just enough to pivot. I, I had to recreate. That's what I, I felt. I mean, I, throughout my career, I felt the need to, to reinvent myself. I mean, I, I was, you know, as a young planner, I was pigeonholed, you know, to just doing community engagement, Latino community. So I had to reinvent myself as an economic development person. I got into the arts because, you know, I, I wanted to get the kind of jobs that, that, you know, Anglo planners got, you know, working in, you know, like rich white communities, rich white people like arts. Um, so, um, so that's where created, created plus making communities to address, to, to activate, um, and to explore issues beyond just like simple projects, but really looking at policies and, um, really looking at things from a more systemic point of view. So for example, one of the things we're doing in November uh, of 2021 is having a summit on growing Latino <clears throat> cult growing Latino uh, cultural economies in Latino communities. Because what we know from history is that in a recovery, economic recovery, the rich people get rich, richer. And so want to find ways to help uh, create a more fair system 
uh, more opportunities for communities that are suffering that uh, have um, fewer access to to traditional forms of of wealth. Uh, so, you know, cultural economic development is about uh, understanding and leveraging the the rich wealth of of Latino cultures um, and uh, building more sustainable, more equitable economic systems around there. So there are jobs, not just for people who are the artists or the culture bearers, because not everybody can be an artist, but also uh, for, let's say, the, the carpenter who can build sets for the theater, the, the person, the recent immigrant who, um, you know, can carry stuff around, move things for be a roadie, uh, the, you know, the, the person who may not have a, a high school degree, but cooks great and can be provide food service for uh, the, these uh, industries. Uh, so um, that's where we're, we're going. We take this uh, every, my friend Mitch Silver uh, would say, that every opportunity, you know, every situation either makes you bitter or better. And, uh, you know, for me, it's okay, what can I learn? You know, here's the, here's the tough, here's where we're at. What can I learn from this? What opportunities can I, I make out of it? And I, I will just say too, I think where this comes from is, you know, the immigrant background is a big part of that. I mean, we grew up poor. We came here on a freighter in 1970, on an iron ore freighter. And, um, you know, my my father had a sixth grade education. No, my father had an eighth grade education. My mother had a sixth grade education. Um, And we didn't have connections. We didn't have, you know. um, So it was like, you know what? This is the situation. Um, And by the way, we were probably like the only Argentinos in Staten Island. You know, they were all in Queens. We, we wound up in Staten Island. Um, so it's like, okay, you know, we're going to do what we can with what we got. And we're, you know, we're going to feel bad, but we're going to keep moving forward. So, yeah. you know, that that experience, I think, is, is something that I hope can be inspiring to other, um, you know, planners. But I love when they stop right there. No, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, wow, there was a lot there. <laughs> so I know, thank you so much for the way that you explained it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I was gonna, yeah, we, we were curious about, you know, this idea of like placemaking and it sounds, and I like that you tied it back into kind of like the immigrant story. And I find myself even thinking on that more like, that um, I recently I was on a different call and somebody had mentioned this idea of Latino wayfinding <laughs> and it's like when you see signals of like I don't know like a corner shore or like a mm-hmm. flag or it could be whatever thing you know and uh, recently I went on a trip to San Diego and Tijuana and I stopped by like this taco stand and they asked me oh do you want more do you want extra limes 
nobody asks me that here in Boston, you know, <laughs> but they asked it to me over there. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, like I'm home, like I'm here. And so uh, anyway, that idea of placemaking and like these like signals, either like verbal or like physical or through art or visuals that make you feel like you belong in that place, you know, like mm -hmm. that place is home. You feel a connection to it. You feel invested. You care about it. So, yeah, what, what I don't know. Is there, could, I was wondering if we could dig a little deeper into placemaking and why, what drives you? Like, why do you care about it so much? Like, is there a certain memory or like something that like, maybe a moment that kind of triggered it or did it just kind of happen? like slowly did it evolve over time um yeah just kind of curious uh, about that well um i'll say it this way I, I i spent two years in planning school learning how planners can make the world a better place and and the next 20 years studying how planners so often fail at it <laughs> so um and what it was is that the the approach that planning had become, uh, I think it was very limiting. Um, you know, the education that we get, we, we, we're trained to essentially be, essentially like uh, coders of a place, you know, where the program is, like, you know, the coders, like the, like somebody who does a video game. Right, you know, right, right. And we think about, you know, space and, you know, the relationship of objects to one yeah. another. That's what, that's what we, we, we focus on that's not the whole of uh, that. That's certainly not the whole of the experience of, of people. Um, and so placemaking is about that. It's it's about relationships. Um, it's about understanding these elements that are not necessarily quantifiable in the traditional sense. They're not going to show up in a census uh, report. Um, yeah. But issues of that sense of belonging. What is you know, uh, culture, you can define it, you can document it, um, just like you're doing that, you know, those experiences, but they don't fit into the traditional planners mindset. I mean, planners are, th are taught to think in nouns, uh, you know, buildings, streets, trees, mm -hmm. etc. But people experience place in adjectives. You know, it's fun, it's scary, it's dark. It's I love that. Good. And so we, we're not really trained that well. I mean, part of that training, and uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to piss off my friends in the academy here, but, you know, a lot of this training is not about the technical aspects. It's about leadership. It's about cultural competency, emotional intelligence, things that they don't teach in, in most planning schools. Most planning schools don't teach leadership. Leadership is about influencing people. If yeah. you don't teach people how to influence people, if you don't teach planners how to influence people, they, they have to kind of learn it on their own. And most planners, unfortunately, don't. Um, it, and um, I actually became a better planner by studying public and by getting that public administration degree at USC at the same time I was getting my planning degree. If I was, you know, if I just been a got my planning degree, I might have just, you know, gotten stuck, you know, doing maps for somebody or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah. So um, 
But so so placemaking, um, so when we talk about creative placemaking, and particularly the the arts, the the power of the arts, because everyone knows the arts are fun and they like murals and stuff, but you know the the power the arts uh, arts have so much energy in communities and we're not really and, and most planners don't know how to leverage that. For example, um, the uh, arts help us to to surface our creativity. It doesn't help us make us more creative, but when people are engaged in in art making activities, they're they feel more confident. They feel more uh, uh, you know they feel more at ease with one another. Um, you know they can make mistakes because you know we're t we're taught so much we can't make mistakes. Um, so this thing that just seems like oh people are having fun is actually valuable for community building. Um, it allows us to have those com conversations uh, that we wanted to get the kind of data about mm -hmm. communities that we're not going to get in through secondary research. Um, yeah, you know where people fit and kind of things where when people can express themselves in different ways, uh, they can say more. Like because our models of community engagement are really biased. Uh, they're biased towards people who have strong verbal skills, uh, people who are more extroverted, and uh, so and people who have strong English skills. Right. So we may think, oh, we're really reaching out to the community. Um, yeah, but, yeah. you know, by, and it's not that we're trying to not be present in the community, but it's just the skills that, the, the tools that, that most planners have. And, and it's also a way of thinking, like, you know, I, I never, one of the most common questions that a planner will ask in a community, planner, architect, landscape architect, is what do you want to see in the future? That's the mindset of thinking in terms of rounds. You know, what do you want to see? And, you know, we're the specialists in, in what, you know, those things. That's why when we do charrettes, most charrettes wind up becoming, you know, basically just a, a, a showing off, you know, how smart the planner or the architect is, you know, because how, you know, they go, oh, you do this, you do that, you do that, that and people just go, oh, okay. Um, yeah. But asking that question, like, what do you want to be? How do you see, you know, how are you engaged in it? This is a, a friend of mine, James Rojas, um, does such a wonderful job with this, with He's this program. I mean, when he starts, you know, his he does the community building work. When he starts, and I, and I hope I'm not giving away his secrets here, but he starts by asking people to build a memory. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, can you imagine going into a planning uh, uh, go into a public hearing for <laughs> for a development and say, "Okay, people, build a memory." It's it's that kind it's that kind of thing. Uh, so so this is part of what in in helping planners understand placemaking is really um, is really understanding uh, you know these elements, not just you know, hey, look how to make nice murals and and all that. And then the other thing, and I know there's a lot here is that we are part of our problem. And I think this is part of the problem why uh, planning 
is, has such difficulty with inclusion, which diversity, um, the, is that planning is the way it's taught and the way it's practiced is about risk aversion. I mean, we're, you know, we're brought in because people are scared about something. You know, so we're, we're there to, and this is Daniel Burnham, you know, make your watchword beauty and, or what is it, your, your beacon beauty and your watchword order. Um, so we're there to, to supposedly bring order. Um, and what are the biggest threats to order? Diversity and creativity. Because we can't predict it, we can't, I mean, we, we are good at things that we can predict, that we can manage, and we can control, and you can't control these, these things. So the tools that most planning schools give to planners, to young, uh, to young planners, and quite frankly, you know, when they do continue education, it's kind of just a, a cheaper version of what they do in the, you know, the credit, um, is doesn't really prepare them well for dealing with uh, uncertainty, dealing with chaos, dealing, uh, and so from placemaking uh, provides that way of, of doing that. So in, I know I kind of went, took a long walk to get to here, but, but placemaking is a natural result of, of my frustrations uh, of looking at the planning profession and say, why are there so few Latinos? Why are there so few Black people? Why you, um, and the people I met, oh, you know, they, they didn't seem racist to me. You know, they seemed like perfectly nice people. They want to do good things in the community. So, um, you know, uh, they were, I felt that a lot of them were short-sighted by just seeing me as somebody who could just, it was a, pretty much only good for, you know, talking to, to, Hispanic communities. So I thought there's something else there. And I thought, you know, it's the way we're trained, it's the way we're practiced, it's the way our our whole um uh you know what's in, it our you know we, in this day and age when we're talking about systemic racism, we have to think a lot about system. What are the systems that that we live in as planners that we inherit and that we perpetuate that yeah. Uh, are, you know, causing or are perpetuating this inequality, these problems that, that we're trying to address. I'm going to yeah, echo, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm gonna echo that because I, I, I think one of the, you know, one of the biggest issues academia has when creating space, you know, this marginalization of, you know, a space, the social production of space, you know, I'm Lefebvian as uh, Leo knows. Um, and we don't uh, think about the harm that we do by not including culture. And in my case, it's not including people with disabilities in space because we're scared to include disability because it's, how do you plan for that? How do you plan for a future of individuals that will have mobility issues? And when we plan, you know, and, and the planning, you know, shots that, you know, we've created, we include multi-generational families because that's the future. Future in the mm -hmm. Latino community is to embrace our family, our abuela, our tia, and you know, and our grandchildren and our grandchildren's children, because we, you know, hope to live to the old ripe age of 80s and 90s. And 
you know, we will have grandchildren, great grandchildren. So how do you create communities and space that become intergenerational across the lifespan? And then more importantly, you know, when my colleagues do plan on inclusive design, it's inclusive design for who, you know, disability, yeah. is it for Latinos? Is it for Blacks? Is it for Asians? It's for who? Because it's going to change. And so this issue of placemaking, Leo, I love it. You know, I love the inclusivity, you know, of how arts and community make and change. And it's usually we see the arts coming into a dearth community um, and kind of making it whole. And then, you know, that kind of tips, you know, gentrification and, you know, either good or bad, however it's included. If, and I agree with you in our other conversations, how we uh, start creating those um, safety nets so that we don't displace our families. And so in academia, we don't teach about the social production of art space or disability space. So Leo, how should we? What, what external activities? Because I think that's one of the things that, you know, we, we send out our planners after they get their bachelor's or their master's degree. And then, you know, hopefully they will get real live world experience in the field working um, in a planning or with an architectural firm. And again, it's, you know, depending on where you may not see a Latino or you may not see a disability, you know, social justice community uh, or a black or Asian community. So where can we learn all of this stuff, Leo, outside of the academy? Well, um, I think, you know, quite frankly, that there's a growing placemaking field. I mean, there's a project for public uh, places is one, although they tend to be more architecturally based. Although they're 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 um, they're going more into the holistic uh, framework. I mean, the problem is with placemaking is you have the architects who you know, not all architects, but you you know when people hear placemaking, they think oh it, it's about putting just chairs and and out there and just tactical urbanism and just just putting nice stuff and the fun stuff and oh that's nice, you know. And it's so much more than, than, than that. Um, uh, I mean, it is the, the physical elements, but it's also these these social elements. I mean, you know, uh, place. I mean, creative placemaking communities uh, does a number of, uh, of programs. Um, LISC has a, a a nice introduction to creative uh, placemaking. But you know, one of the things I will say so. If you want to learn about this stuff, uh, and I'm trying to share the wealth here because I know <laughs> I, I know it's easy to just say, yeah, come to Creative Place, break the communities. Well, take care, um, and I hope you do, folks. Uh, but you know, there's other good people. So. Um, the the stuff when you read about it, you go, oh yeah, this makes sense. Part of the challenge for us as planners is really thinking about how we think about things. For example. I almost never use the term the community. You know, this is we hear capital T, capital C, the community. It's garbage. There's no such thing as the community. There are multiple communities. Thank you. You know, <laughs> and it's not about who's there, it's about who isn't there. And yeah, you got a hundred people showing up at your meeting. Fine. Great. Well, who didn't show up? That's where you said that. And why are they showing up? Well, did you make it accessible? Did you make it, you know, if somebody's got 
visual dis, you know, it, it, you know, visual impairment, uh, uh, auditory, um, you know, uh, uh, issues. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just about whether they can roll in on a wheelchair. It's, you know, can they feel comfortable? Can they, are they welcome? This is one thing that actually the online experience can provide. It, it can provide a mechanism for people who before had been, um, you know, denied a fair opportunity uh, to, to engage. Um, or provide care, you know, at a meeting for families who have two or three children. Yeah. That they could attend. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I remember we did, I did a community planning project in, in Waterbury. And uh, we did, I did the, this was years ago. Um, and we did the usual things like, oh, I'm going to speak Spanish and we have flyers in Spanish, you know, because we thought the problem, like a lot of flyers, like, oh, it's translations. People don't speak English, so they're not going to feel comfortable. We want to make sure they feel comfortable. But it's also that this model that we often use, this meeting, this is part of the New England town hall heritage. It's part of the Anglo heritage. It's part of the African-American heritage. It's growing in, in Latin America, but it's, you know, this kind of model is not the, you know, you, you come to a meeting, you know, to, to share your thoughts. I mean, hell, if you're Catholic, if you grew up Catholic or, you know, or you have Catholic, Catholic culture, I mean, if you're drawn to a place and there's somebody up at the front, you're, you're supposed to shut up and listen to what they say. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the rule, you know, the way you're, you're, you're accustomed. So what did I do? I, I said, okay, you know what? Let's just make it a big dinner and have a conversation. Because I'm thinking, I grew up. It's going to say food. Food is food. missing. Food. <laughs> it, it, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and uh, so these are the kinds of things. Now, because of my growing up, I said, okay, I understood that. It's like, you know, we didn't go to meetings. You know, we, uh, we didn't go to, that wasn't part of us. It was like, uh, the, we didn't feel really connected. So, and that worked out well. And you know what? It was people speaking Spanish. We spoke mostly Spanglish the, the whole time. So, I love um, Spanglish. That's what I speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, the, there's that thing. So, it's, it's really kind of understand, you know, these kinds of things that we, it's almost like unlearning some of the things that we've been taught. Um, the, uh, you know, understand, and, and, this is part of the cultural competency, emotional intelligence. Understand why people, you know, even if you make it easy for them, even if you have a flyer in their language, even if you put the flyer in their mailbox, um, why, um, you know, why they're not going to feel comfortable uh, going. Um, but, you know, you also, Lenore, you talked about gentrification. There's another problem we have. We don't think holistically enough as planners, which is ironically because we're trained to think about uh, you know, change, process of change. We are often, the thing is, we, we think we're trained to think in this kind of linear format. This is the rational comprehensive planning model that we're all trained in. It's like, okay, we're going to define the problem. The solution is out there somewhere. We're going to get the data. We're going to find out the, the, the most effective solution, the most efficient, or the most efficient solution. And then we're going to find that solution. And then everything's going to be fine. And we, we, we plan to fix, for, first of all, there's a, there's a number of issues. The biggest is that we don't plan for success. We don't think beyond like, okay, if 
you got an area that's revitalizing and we're doing all these things that are going to make it more livable, it's going to increase property values. Okay, what do we do about that? You increase property values, you're going to have some, you know, you're going to have some displacement. We don't think about it. We think, oh, hey, we're revitalizing. Uh, and then the other thing is about the, the problem. We're good at um, uh, we're good at problem solving, but we're not good at problem finding. Um, you know, we say, oh, the problem is, you know, uh, uh, afford lack of affordable housing. And when we define it that way, it's, um, you know, then does it, you know, we're limited in our creativity. We're limited in our, in our views. So it's, you know, it kind of understanding, you know, being, having more of a systems approach, thinking more holistically. And the thing is that no matter how smart we are, no matter how well meaning we are, all of us have limited rationality. That's it, uh, called bounded rationality. Um, so it's important to hear from people and to hear from different people and not, not just the people that we know what they're going to say, but, you know, that weird artist who does that weird thing. And we'll say something that we didn't think about. It's like, oh, yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, when we do charrettes, I love it when families bring their children. Mm-hmm. And you ask their children because their children are probably going to live there 15 years and they'll probably inherit the house and they'll live there for 20, 30 years. And we never ask children what the future holds. But if you give them crayons and paper and you ask them the same questions you ask the adults, oh my goodness, it just, it gives, I think, placemaking and creative placemaking and interaction in planning something we don't do with intergenerational families especially Latino families, we don't do that. And I, you know, and we, you know, I know you've mentioned that before. And so I'm just kind of regurgitating that. Children and youth are great. The biggest problem with, with, with uh, doing charrettes with children and youth is the adults, you know, because the, the, you know, they can come up with some great ideas, but then you have the adults who will say, no, no, you know, that's not going to work. So, I mean, unfortunately, there's, I've seen too many instances where, um, where, where creativity was was uh, uh, squelched, and and I think you know this is unfortunately in immigrant communities, you know, working class immigrant communities, you know, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of insecurity. You know, it's you left the country, or that you would, you that was you left it because it was a really bad situation that. You, and uh, you're in this new country where you don't know, you don't feel secure. And so unfortunately, I think in so many immigrant communities, that sort of fear, uh, that insecurity uh, uh, goes uh, into the, the, the children. I mean, the reason I, the reason I went to get a public administration degree is because I, I won't say who, but somebody in my family, like my family didn't like planning with us, a lot of like a lot of Latino family. So, but uh, somebody in my family said, well, why don't you get a public administration degree? Because if this, whatever this planning thing, if that doesn't work out, at least you can get a government job. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we talk about memories, you know, and we, 
And you brought this up and we really don't use memories when it comes to placemaking. So, you know, I wanna ask you, what is your um, favorite memory uh, growing up that revolves around food? Well, I mean, I would say that the, uh, I mean, food is a huge part of, of my life. I mean, I'm, I'm a foodie, uh, but I would say the two biggest things, you know, for, for me is in Argentine, uh, La Parijada and, um, and the Mate, you know, the, like, because they're both about social experience. La Parijada, you know, about basically, you know, grilling, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's it's a slow grill. It's a, it's a social, you know, it's a family experience. And mate is something that you drink with your family or your very very close friends. So, um, I, I mean, I don't I don't eat as much meat as I used to. Um, uh, I mean, I, I love meat, but I actually do Beyond Burgers and Possible Meat. And, you know, I'm hoping one day they they have they come up with something that tastes like mojejas because that's my favorite cut of meat. Um, but, uh, uh, the, uh, but that kind of, of, uh, you know, experience and, and I think food is so important for, because it's, it's one of the things that, uh, especially for immigrants and, uh, it's one of the things that can, can connect people across generations, food, music, things that we can, that are easy to take, uh, with us, um, because you know there are, I mean, frankly, where I grew up, there there were no other Argentines. You know, I mean, yeah, there are Latinos, there were Puerto Ricans, there were Cubans, but not, you know, it's like we're Latinos when we're, you know, we're out there in the world. But you know, when we're among ourselves, we're like, you know, Latinos, Peruanos, Venezolanos, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, uh, those, uh, you, you know, uh, and we. For us, I mean, for most of my life, because growing up in Staten Island, being the only, often being the only Latino planner, uh, the only planner who's Latino, um, it's a lot of experience of just being an outsider wherever I went. Um, and uh, so, uh, uh, you know, the you know the food kind of lets you be, uh, you know, an insider. Uh, so. Uh, now, as, as I say that, I know that there's you know, Argentine restaurants in LA and uh, in South Florida. And uh, I, I recently found an Argentine restaurant in Belleville, New Jersey. It was a pizzeria. I was like, and I, it was my, I had my, last week I had my first slice of Argentine pizza in probably 30 years. What oh, is, could you share what Argentine pizza, what, what's different about it? Um, <laughs> I have no it's idea. A, it's a, it's a, it's a, so, if you're used to New York pizza, um, it's a thicker crust. I think it's, I'm not sure how they make it, but it's a thicker crust, a little more pizza. And then like the, the very traditional um, Argentine pizza is made with, with ham and roasted red peppers mm. and olives, green olives. Uh, I mean, I don't eat ham that, that often. Uh, I yeah. really don't eat ham at, at all, but, uh, but you yeah. know, it was a family thing. And uh, so, but yeah. No, it's cool. it's really it's it's thicker too. It's like for those of you who are familiar with Chicago, it's like you know think of it somewhere between 
you know, the thickness of it, somewhere between New York pizza and Chicago pizza. Oh, Chicago deep dish pizza. Oh, the, deep dish pizza. Uh, I am so sure we will create food foodie wars with that. You know, <laughs> you know, the time, it's so easy to talk to you, Leo. And we've got two questions that I know that we want to ask. Sure, sure. And so Latinos in planning. I mean, we need to talk about that. We need to talk about why it was created. We're, we're an offshoot of this. And, you know, Leo, you and I have talked about how, you know, in my, when I was getting my master's and how, how, how I, you know, as a Mexicana uh, with a disability uh, was just, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. Um, and so I want to thank you on behalf of all of the Latinos in planning for creating a space and a place for us. And so can you tell us why, why it became around and the challenges that you experienced, you know, uh, to make it? Well, I got, thank you so much. I really, I do appreciate the, those kinds of kind words uh, but you know it certainly wasn't me I mean I, I just myself I mean it was uh, you know a number of people um, uh, so the short answer is you know I think I created uh, in 2005 or we, we developed in 2005 the, the short answer is that I wanted to see more Latinos uh, participating in the national conference than doing the food service okay <laughs> you know um, you know, there's very few of us, and I mean, there was so little um, analysis done. I mean, I did back in 2000 with basically like on a $1,500 grant I got from the New York Metro chapter. I did an analysis of um, of demographic, uh, the demographic population of the of planners in the APA New York Metro chapter. It was a small study, little little survey. You know, it's like basically like something that like a graduate student probably could have done, you know, over six months. It was the most comprehensive, you know, demographic analysis done of of the planning profession ever, anywhere. In 2000, it's embarrassing that, that there was so little. I mean, yeah, we talk about diversity, but it's like we don't even, you know, we weren't even looking at diversity within our own community. So um, the, uh, it, you know, it was something that uh, uh, I felt like, I mean, I knew there was a plain and black uh, community division, there was women in plain division. And I, I felt, I, I had before I'd done, uh, started working on Latinas and planning, I was asked by Mitch Silver uh, to, to create or to recreate this uh, uh, organization at the New York Metro, the committee of New York Metro chapter that was called African-Americans and Latinos in Planning. You know, and I, I changed it to Plans for Ethnic Cultural Diversity because I said, well, what about the Asian Americans? You know, what about indigenous people? You know, don't, don't they get, <laughs> don't we care about them too? Um, so, uh, and we had a number of conversations and a lot of different things. And, and, and one of the things I'm actually most proud of is that um, we invited the, the, it was called Gaelic at the time, uh, the LGBTQT uh, uh, 
um, division. It was called Gays and Lesb Lesbians in Planning and inviting somebody from the division to speak about issues related to uh, planning and you know, uh, uh, gay and lesbian communities. Um, you know, but I, I heard so many stories from people like me, like people who've been overlooked for jobs, people who've been pigeonholed, people. Uh, I said, you know what? Uh, the division is the way to go. Um, and uh, so that's, you know, I found other people like-minded around the country who were interested in, and we started that. And the first thing we did was we started asking, you know, what are the biggest planning issues facing Latino communities? What are the biggest issues facing Latino planners? That became a, a series of events that we did called Dialogos. Um, they were like four hour or full day uh, events around the country. Um, which were led by different people. And that became the book, Dialogos, uh, uh, Placemaking Latino Communities. Uh, the ideas that that sprung from, you know, that were generated in those uh, those conversations became the themes for, for that book. Um, and I, I'm just so proud that um, that has continued um, and that's getting stronger. And uh, I mean, that you're doing things like having the, um, the podcast and so many other events, and, and I'm also involved with uh, Lugares, the uh, the um, you know the conference that's going to be happening in, in October. So, uh, you know, one thing I will say about it uh, is early on we asked the question: Should it be Latinos in planning, or should it be the Latinos and planning? And we all decided unanimously that it should be Latinos and planning because it shouldn't be just about us. It should we should be welcoming to anybody who cares about uh, issues facing Latino communities. All right. And then this, yeah, you know, can you ask that last question? Uh chocolate? <laughs> Okay, if you were going to have churros and chocolate, uh, what flavor of churros uh, do you prefer? Well, when there's a leche, por supuesto. Actually, I'm more of an alfajores guy, you know, to tell you the truth. I don't know. so uh, the Argentines and the Peruvians make it, although we do it different, like like empanadas. We, we all, all of us have different ways uh, okay, okay. Um, it's kind of like a, a really thick cookie um, with made with maicena, which is corn starch. Oh, I love maicena. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And it's short. I think it's shortbread. I, I never made it myself, but it's it's like a really nice chewy cookie. And in the middle, um, you uh, you've got dulce leche. Um, you know, you can fill it with other things, but dulce leche is traditional. And then, uh, the, you know, some people. Sometimes it's covered in chocolate, like it's the whole oh thing God. is covered in chocolate. What is sometimes, this? <laughs> sometimes it's rolled in coconut. Um, so the the brand that the most famous brand comes out of Argentina is uh, Halva, the H A L V A H, and I know it's Alva, mm. um, so it, it's really, really, really uh, nice. But 
facturas argentinas, you know, there, um, there's so many. Um, now, the thing about those of you who are not, you know, uh, who, who haven't been introduced to Argentine food that much is we like our sweets sweet. We like our sweets sugary. So, so, um, not in Mexico. You know, not in yeah. Mexico. <laughs> so, you know, I made the mistake of, um, of bringing this. I was like introducing this to, to some, some Americans. And oh my God, in the middle of the meeting, it's like everybody's on this huge sugar high. You kind of hardly get anything done because they're like, <laughs> I'm like, what? what's going on? It's like, it's like, oh my God, this is so, so much sugar. Um, so a- anyway, uh, yeah. So basically you do anything with dulce de leche, uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Universal, yeah. <laughs> um. Wow. Leo, we have to, you know, have another part two in the future and really talk about expanding the, this issue of placemaking and inclusionary uh, ways that I think planners can um, pl- can plan. You know, I, I think the small tips that you gave us today, I hope that the planners who are listening, allies and everyone else, you know, takes away with, with heart. Um, and the fact that we got to know, you know, you better, you know, another Latino in planning, um, you know, on behalf of the Pan Dulce team, you know, Grecia, myself and James, you know, we really want to thank you for, you know, being brave enough to be on our podcast you. <laughs> and our Zoom app. And wow, we just look so forward to, you know, when we can all get in, you know, get together in person, you know, in at the APA meetings or wherever and bring our little desserts. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's right. Thank, uh, thank, thank you so much for inviting me. It is it's such a pleasure to, to be talking and, and to have the opportunity to to talk about these things because uh, it's very, very rare that, you know, we can have a conversation like this. So I, I, I very pre- appreciate it so much. All right. Well, thank you again. And for anybody who wants to reach us, uh, please email us uh, at gmail. And we just um, started uploading videos to our YouTube. So you can watch uh, our videos there. Thank you, everybody.